Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Levy URM Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is Kel McGregor, who's a guitar player, songwriter, producer, and mix engineer out of the Nashville area, best known for his work playing guitar for the band none other than Memphis May Fire. You know, outside of the obvious work he does with Memphis May Fire, Kellen has also worked with lots of artists in the studio from established acts to up-and-comers, artists such as Random Hero, The Protest, Zana, Seventh Day Slumber, Relent, and tons more. Also, Kellen is on Nail the Mix this month, August 2022, with his band Memphis May Fire and doing the song blood and water and so if you want in on that nail the mix just go to nailthemix.com slash sign up for the raw multi-tracks and the live mixing session along with your chance to win some sick prizes anyways i will quit this intro take it over to kellen let's do this thing Kellen McGregor, welcome to the URM podcast. Howdy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Man, I've been hearing more and more about your work. You know, first I heard about it from, you know, from Joey Sturgis because uh, your singer had hit him up and told him that you were doing the new stuff. Oh, yeah. And Joey was like, you should check it out. It sounds really good. And I did. And I thought it sounded really good. And then the idea just kind of died there. You know how it is. like. The idea, there's 8 million things going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're one of the busiest guys on the planet, so. There's busier. But for my, (laughs) for me, I'm the busiest guy sitting in this seat. It's AL and then Elon Musk. Yeah, right. Y'all are real (laughs) close, right next to each other. Man, I cannot imagine what he has to deal with. But yeah, like it died, but I kept it at the back of my mind. And then more and more people were like requesting you actually. Oh, cool. Every once in a while, I'll put out a post that's like, who would you like to see on Nail the Mix? Who would you like to see on the podcast? Your name comes up more and more. And uh, and I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool. So I pay attention to those things to like, who has personally recommended someone to me? Does that, is that congruent with what I'm seeing in the community with 
what people are talking about. And so I've seen your name mentioned more and more and more, which yeah. makes me happy. So I know you as a musician in a band, mm-hmm. in a band that's been around for a while. But then I start hearing of you as a producer, mixer. Um, and to be honest, I try to not be skeptical, because, but it's hard not to be because every single band has a dude in it now or a lady who does that, right? Mm-hmm. So- how do you know who's actually good and who's actually not? But then when you hear it more and more and more and in the URM community, you hear it from people that you respect. And it's like, hmm, maybe there is something here. And then you actually hear the work and you're like, yeah, dude's legit. And so then that brings up the question for me is being a producer mixer, is that, was that always where you wanted to go with things? Or is that something that happened like for a lot of us out of necessity? Because like, for instance, for me, Becoming a producer mixer was out of necessity because back in the early 2000s, there were no people where I could go to get my extreme metal band recorded. It they, There just weren't. I had to learn how to do it because there was nothing. So I just did it. I never so loved it. So you had it. to become the guy. Yeah. I had to become <laughs> the guy, but not out of passion for recording. It was out of passion for my band and necessity. So I'm wondering what, what did it mean for you or what does it mean for you? It's probably a little, yeah, I I think I probably felt a little bit of that. Um, when we first started out, like nobody else was really picking up that mantle or it really into it. So I think I just, you know, bounced from, I I started in like acid. Remember that old, old yes. Yes. I started that and went to like Mm -hmm. magics and then got to logic and then to pro tools. And did you ever use making waves? I think I did very briefly, yeah. Oh, finally. <laughs> finally, someone that also used Making Waves. For some reason, I always went back to Acid, though, just because I was mm-hmm. just so boring and plain. But, you know, I, I think it was like a combo of me having fun with it and then also having to do it because no one else in my band would do it. And just playing in local bands back in the day, nobody else did any of that. So I just kind of fell into it and then... You know, as we started touring more, um, it was kind of hard. I always wanted to do more of that, do like do more writing sessions or production sessions with bands or learn more about mixing, um, you know, and thank goodness for you guys because that's y'all have been a massive influence on. We're here to here to help. It was I always found that it was really tough trying to balance, I guess, being focused on writing for my band and touring and stuff like that. And then having like also maintaining personal relationships and then. You know, my wife and I started dating back in 2014 and I was never very good at like finding a a proper balance for that. And like, we'd be home for, you know, two months and I'd want to spend a month of that working on branching out and making a career. But I just, I I just always sucked at that so bad, like trying to schedule that stuff. And it was never enough time because when I get into something, I just want to do that all the time. Yeah. So like when we're in album mode, all I do is, is right. Yeah. You're the obsessive type. Yeah. And so I get it. It was, it was hard, man. Moving up here helped a lot. And then we had longer breaks between touring. So that allowed me to kind of explore it more. And I just really fell in love with it. You know, I, I love when bands come in here and, and work with me and we write a song from, from scratch. And then, you know, it's, it's always one of those things where I try and push them in a direction that maybe they're uncomfortable with at first. And then by the time they leave and fly back home, they're like, okay, this song is sick. Or somebody sends mm-hmm. me a mix to do 
and maybe they're unsure because I'm still pretty new to the game, but then I sent it back to them and they're like, oh my God, this was like my least favorite song, but now it's my favorite song. And that's what I, that's what I do it for, you know? That is a great feeling. I want to talk to you a little bit about the obsession. Thing. Sure. Because uh, I just want to hear about how you deal with it because I have a hard time with it because I've got a lot going on. It stresses me out sometimes. I've got a lot going on. I've got, so we talk about URM, you know, there's mm -hmm. the business side of URM. There's also the product side of URM, which is stuff like what we're doing. Yeah. The podcast, like now the mix, like how it's done courses and putting all those together. And those are two different things. There's the community side of it. Then you have Riff Hard, which is exactly the same stuff. Then I have to keep up with my playing. Then I am writing songs for the band, getting ready to put that together. And uh, like the thing is about all that. Oh, and I have a girlfriend too. And it's important. And so <laughs> between all that, the thing is, my tendency is to try to, is to obsess. So if I'm working on one thing, like say I'm writing a guitar solo, that is the thing I want to be working on all fucking day. Forget yep. everything else. Like just sit there and work on that goddamn thing till that thing is like the best thing ever. Or like if I'm working, if I'm doing a podcast, like I'm not thinking about anything else in the Except world that. besides, yeah, me and you talking right now. So with podcasts, it's a little easier because you have an end time. But like, uh, how do you balance it when you do have so many different things going on at the same time like you do? I'm just curious how you do it. I like to learn from people who balance multiple things. And yeah, and again, like you have a like a real life relationship that's important. Yeah, trying to balance everything and be a good husband. Is, yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you're. It's not like you're like some hermit or something. <laughs> you got a wife. That's important. Very important. Very important. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you do this? What's your method? I guess. I mean, I, I don't think I admitted that I do it well. I think let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> well, that's okay. But you do it. I, I try. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. I try as best as I can to time block stuff, even though that becomes super difficult, especially if I'll try and like time block. Like I know, okay, Monday and Friday, I'm doing these two things. And, but the thing, maybe the second thing on Friday depends on a band sending me all the correct files on time. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I get all the files and I'm like, Hey, yo, you need to redo vocals because I mean, I can mix this, but you don't Bro. want to put it out <laughs> like it is. Yeah. And so then that just like totally screws up next week. Cause then you're waiting on that, you know? And then in the meantime, I have rehearsals or I'm trying to write for my own band or write for somebody else's band. It's hard, man. I'm not going to lie. There's nothing, I mean, you know, more than, more than anybody, especially because I just want to disappear in whatever I'm mm -hmm. working on. So like if I'm on, I don't like bouncing back and forth, especially between mixing and production. So if I have like a mixing day, I only want to do mixing. If I have like a production day, I only want to do production for those, you know, two or three bands that I've scheduled because... It's, I, I don't have that kind of brain that can just like... Yeah, it's a headspace. Yeah, I'm going to play guitar for two hours and then I'm going to do some production, then mixing, and then I'm going to go to rehearsal. I, I can't do that. Dude, I can't do that shit. I can't do that shit. I wish I could. It's too hard. Yeah. I'm always envious of people that can do that. Like the singer of, of my band, Matt, he, he can do that. He can like wake up, knock out a bunch of like business emails, hop on some calls, go to rehearsal, come back home and like put some steaks on the grill, you know, like go do this other thing. And then, you know, it's... Man, my girlfriend can do that. I've been trying to learn because she paints guitars for a really big guitar company, like uh, custom stuff. And, but she also has a, like a job she goes to. 
another career. And so I've been watching how she does it. She wakes up like at 5.30 or something and then paints for an hour and a half and then goes to work and then comes back and then paints some more. And even if she only gets 30 minutes of painting done when she gets back, that's enough. But just doing that consistently, like her output is really high. And I've been trying to like think about songwriting for these new Doth songs like that. Like, okay, what have I only spent, you know, take one section of one song. Like, okay, we have verse one on a song and I don't like the way that it transitions between the first half and the second half of the verse. So why don't I just take, I only have 30 minutes to work on it. Why don't I focus on this one detail? That's it. Yeah, we're not working on anything else, just this one transition. Fix the way the first half of the verse transitions into the second half. Yeah, I think that's smart. It works, but it, it's so hard to get into that kind of mental state because my natural thing is wake up and fucking fix everything and just keep going like a fucking battering ram, basically. Yeah, I've had to experiment, I guess, with like noticing when I feel sharpest at certain things throughout the day. So I've noticed if I get up early from like, you know, seven to like noon, I feel like my ears are sharpest because they're just kind of fresh. So I'll, I tend to do mixing stuff until about noon and then take like a lunch break. And then I feel more creative in the afternoon. I feel like faster and more creative with that stuff. And so I tend to try and balance it that way. Like let's knock out as much mixing as we can do in the morning take a break, eat some food, watch some, you know, like YouTube videos or watch you guys or something like that. Just disengage. disengage totally. Disengage. Yeah. And yeah. Just let my brain go somewhere else. So then when I come back in, it's excited. And then I work on production generally in the afternoon. Or if I'm like programming lighting or something like that, work on something more on the creative aspect of it in the afternoon. And that tends to work better for me because I know my brain, once like five o'clock rolls around, it's like, yo, I'm fried. Like, let's go do something else. Yeah, man. I've noticed that too. Like the, there's like an expiration. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's right around, if I start around 6 a.m., which I do most days, it's somewhere between five and seven. There's a yep. range. Fog starts rolling in. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around five, six, seven, the fog starts rolling in. That's a good way to put it. Now there are things I can do to combat it but they're a bad idea. Caffeine? Yeah, like drink a Red Bull at 6 p.m. And yep. hey, yeah, yeah, I'll get that. Hey, yeah, I know you showed me <laughs> your Red Bull, but dude, it's it's 9.54 a.m. Yeah. by you. You know, I have my, my quad coffee here, but like... Oh, dude, I'll, I'll do the same thing. Like sometimes you'll be like in the middle of something and you'll look at your clock and you're like, okay, well, it is six o'clock, but I'm right in the middle of this. And then you just go crack open something with caffeine in it. And then you work till, you know eight or nine. And then like, sometimes it is good and efficient. Or sometimes I notice like I get done by pushing myself those extra couple hours. I'm like, I should have just like gone to the gym or something. Let it go. But you never can yeah. tell. That's the thing. You can't tell in advance how that's going to go. Well, here's my issue with doing that. And I do it, but why I try to do it less is by cracking open the caffeine at six, it's a risky game for me because uh, I have had lifelong insomnia. And f so for me, everything good in my life stems from a good sleep mm -hmm. cycle. Like, so yeah, as long here. as I'm getting to sleep and getting six to seven hours consistently, everything else is on a good footing. The moment that starts to get wonky, it's like you could just watch the, everything else start crumbling. So like, yep. I have to be super strict about that. And so 
opening that Red Bull at 6 p.m., that's risky because still that, you know, we are five hours or six hours away from bedtime. So technically we should be okay, but not always. Yeah. You may feel like, like, oh, I'm sleepy, but it's still going to interrupt your sleep rhythm by having it in your system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know all too well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and dude, my, my wife is kind of like you, like I'm sure like her brain is just always working. Getting her to bed is like trying to like get a kid to go to bed. You know, she's just always excited about something, you know, like, but what about this TV show or what about this? And her brain is just always thinking. So she can operate on like four hours of sleep. I can't do that. I know that as I get older, I'm 37 now, I need like a little bit more sleep with every year that I get older. It just, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I can do the four hours of sleep. Here's what's interesting. I, when I was younger, could operate on very little sleep. Like I could go 36 hours straight (laughs) without sleep and just sleep for five hours, do it again. Just, yeah, just fucking savagery, pure savagery. Nowadays, if I do an all-nighter, I get a migraine. Oh, yeah. Like I get a migraine. Even, not even an all-nighter. I don't mean like up partying. I mean like say I stay up till like yeah. four working. I was going to say the same thing, yeah. Yeah, I have to wake up at three, like three hours later. I get a fucking migraine so bad that I want to puke. And so I can't do that stuff anymore. Yeah, me neither. There's that. And then I've noticed that like I can do better now with like four hours, five hours of sleep, six hours but if I really more like five hours, but if I go under five, it's just, just trash. Yeah. The day just gets a lot worse. However, the big difference is I don't think I really need eight. Like, so I can get six and be perfectly fine. Whereas that, when I was younger, that wasn't the case. It Like I needed like eight or 10 to really feel good. Now I only need six, but the trade off is if I go under five, we're asking for trouble. And if I go under three, it's going to be a migraine. It's game over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's real similar for me. Like if, if I don't even set an alarm, I will wake up exactly at eight hours, regardless of what time I go to bed. Wow. My, my body just n- knows exactly when eight hours is. It's really mm-hmm. bizarre. But yeah, if, I have to have it like at least six because anything other than that, I just feel like trash and I, I'm slow at everything that I do. And I like to just like go, 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 go. Like I like to work super fast and it just, do you get moody too? I just get frustrated more easily. I think. Yeah. Frustrated. Got it. Dude, this whole conversation is like a same conversation I've had with my, my wife and I like a thousand times, like, babe, we need more sleep. And we know we do Mm -hmm. because when we get more sleep, we feel like a thousand times better. And we do a thousand, thousand times better at both of our jobs. And she works for a legal firm. So she has to be sharp all the time. It's just this scary truth of getting older, you know? Well, I'll send you the invoice for the couples therapy (laughs) session after. Yes. Yeah, please do. Yeah. It is what it is, man. I mean, I think when I turned about, when I turned 30, that's when I started noticing that I couldn't pull all-nighters anymore. I didn't rebound as quickly anymore. Touring became harder, you know. That's the age. It was literally like once I turned 30, I was like, something is different and I don't like it. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. (laughs) Man, my band used to joke because we were, we joked about it before we were all 30. We used to joke about how that's like the cliff because that's like when you start to see everyone that you used to tour with, like just leave. Yeah, just peace out. Just because, yeah, peace out just because 
30 happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's, there's a couple of things going on at the same time. Like number one, it's that, what you just said, like the recovery time physically is just not what it used to be. So, and the abuse that you take on the road, like you take a lot of abuse and I don't mean like, forget the lifestyle, the drugs and alcohol lifestyle. Not everybody does that. So let's pretend that doesn't exist. Just the lifestyle of being on the road, traveling, playing shows, moving stuff, constantly changing time zones, always being on the road, all that stuff that takes a toll on your body and your mind. It gets harder and harder to recover from it. Yeah. I think as you get older. So I think that that's part of it. And then I also think that the other part is when something like when people turn 30, something happens in their brain. Like I have read studies, it changes. Like I've heard studies that the human brain is not fully developed until around 25, 26. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that some of the aspects of the brain that can calculate long-term consequences are some of the last ones to develop. Of course. So somewhere around 30, yeah. you're a fully formed adult. And then, so it's something about like the significance of being 30, like you can finally like understand the long-term ramifications of what you're doing. You're not recovering as well. And it's like, hmm, do I want to be 50 yes, doing this? Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. why you got to prep. Like when, you, when you're getting around that age, you just got to start taking care of yourself because you know that... 20 years down the, down the road, it's going to catch up to you if you don't prepare for it, you know? Sooner. Yeah, if not, yeah, you're right. I mean, even, even just this, I guess this is kind of related to it. For me, I'm definitely like a creature of habit. Like I like to have like the same time blocks of everything every day, you know, like go to the gym at a certain time, make dinner at a certain time. And a couple months back, I think I had texted you like when, when our dog died, Yoda. I was very sorry about that, by the way. That sucks. Thank you, man. Yeah. He, he was, he was my world and we don't have kids. So he was like our kid, our little stinky French kid. <laughs> yeah. So after that happened, I just like, the only thing I could do was just bury myself in work. And, you know, I mean, that's, I didn't know what el- how else to cope with it. So that's what I did. But because of that, I would just ignore like the other aspects of, of like taking care of myself to make sure that I could like be the best me every day. So like, mm-hmm you know, putting aside like cooking and eating healthy meals, going to the gym, not only for to take care of like your body, but to like take care of your mind, like give your mind a, a break where you don't have to like think about anything. You're just going and doing something kind of mindless that is also good for you. You know, like really keeping up my friendships and stuff like that. And it took me a long time over a couple months to realize like, even if there are days where you're behind on stuff, like you still got to put in the hours to like take care of yourself doing the things that you don't realize are even making like a huge impact, you know? And that was a tough lesson for me to learn. It's a, it's like you have to prioritize your own maintenance in a way, like eating healthy, exercising, maintaining your social interactions and whatever life basics they are for you. I guess for like a virtuoso guitarist, it would be doing at least the 30 minutes yeah. <laughs> on guitar so that they don't fall behind. But like whatever whatever it is for you, but like those basic basics, just so that you as a human don't start to fall apart. That's just so important. Yeah, it's hard too, man. I mean, especially like people like you and me, when you have obsessive traits already and you get in that mode and you just start like, like you're a horse with blinders on and you're just blocking out all mm-hmm. the other things in life. You're like, oh, well, I'll just do that next week. Yeah, I'll take care of myself next week. And then four weeks go by and then it turns into 16 weeks. And then you're just like, why do I feel like 
complete crap today. Like, oh, it's because I haven't done a single thing for the last couple months to take care of myself. And it's, yep. that's hard for people to learn. I mean, that's the same thing with like being on the road. You have to do stuff when you're on the road to like keep your mind sharp, keep your body healthy, you know, like maybe that's going to bed not at 2 a.m., you know? Maybe that's like not having that extra white claw. Like, let's, hey, let's go to bed. <laughs> or any. Yeah, or any white claws, you know? It's just, yeah. you know, it's it's tough to learn that as you get older because like we were, you were saying earlier, like when you're young, you don't you don't even have to factor that in. You can just like exist and you're just functioning at 100% yeah. <laughs> all the time. It's so easy. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing. Yeah, I know. I wish I could go back to that, but... I totally don't. did not appreciate no, it. No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, yeah. every year that I get older, I look back at like my early to mid-20s and how I could literally just do anything and wake up the next day and just be like, okay, yeah, like... I feel great. Yeah, totally. You know, I don't need any Man, liquid I, IV. I remember, I, you know, like I don't need anything. <laughs> I feel great. And I remember on some tours, just like taking a tally of all the injuries I was sustaining, but like as a joke, like funny, like I I was carrying a cab in Baltimore in the winter and I slipped on the ice and busted my knee and was bleeding everywhere. <laughs> Put that on the list. Yep. Like all kinds of shit like that. Just like all the different things that involve just getting beat the fuck up day after day after day. Man, now, uh-uh, like. Ain't happening. No, no, no. <laughs> that would happen. And then I'd be down for a little while. I might not be able to play the show the next day. Who knows? Yeah. Anytime we're out on the road, you know, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this, like you always have like friends in every city that come out and they always want to like, hang let's, let's party, bro. And blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely, there's been like a little bit of a learning curve to just like learn how to like tell people like, no, I'm, I'm good, bro. Like, like I, I'm not drinking tonight. You know, like I got a lot of things mm -hmm. I got to do tomorrow. Like, especially if like when you're, me in a band, like when you're the guy that has to like either do all the audio stuff or whatever, you're you have a major role in your group. You, you know you can't let everybody down. Everybody's depending on you, so you kind of have to prioritize that along with your health. So it's like, well, you know what? I'm I am gonna go to bed at midnight tonight because I know tomorrow's drive or the overnight drive is gonna be bumpy, and I, you know I yeah. could get eight hours, but realistically, I'll probably get five. You know and. It's it's a hard lesson to and learn. It's no offense. Yeah, it's no offense. It's just like, hey, it's not that I don't want to hang out with you, or you know, we'll just have to do it next time we roll through because you know I've got these important things coming up and I got to take care of my health. You know, when friends of mine come through on tour, if we want to see each other, I always suggest we see each other early in the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. No offense to anybody, but like, yeah, yeah. I probably don't want to go to the show. It's too loud, and uh, I don't like the you, I don't like the environment. Our show's too loud for you too. Now that's how it is for me. Yeah, I need to be very selective. Like, I'll go see Muse. Like, I'm buying tickets or getting tickets, whatever it is. I'm going to go see Muse on this upcoming tour. But yeah, the way I see it is, I have been to so many shows, as have you. Like any of us who have done this have been to a countless number of shows. Our hearing is has been fucked with already. 100%, Like yeah. it or not, our hearing has been fucked with. And so to me, going to a show now is like, is it worth it? Like, can I just go say hi? Yeah. So I want, uh, yeah, it has to be something like Muse where it's like one of my favorite bands ever in the history of bands. And then I'll go see that. Mm -hmm. But... Even if I really like a band, I'm probably not going to go to the show. I may just go say hello just because I need to conserve what's left. Yeah, I, I have the same same problem. Like we always have friends that will roll through town playing. And even if it's our homies, you know, I'm like, 
uh, yeah. at nine o'clock on a Thursday. Like, I don't know if it's as I get older, but I have like a sensory overload kind of thing that I notice from time to time where if like stuff is very, very loud, it's like too much. Like I need earplugs or I need to put in like AirPods because yes. it's just yep. like too uh-huh. much information, especially like if you go from like, we're mi- getting old. Yeah. If you go from like mixing all day where you're listening like very critically at low levels and then you go to a loud concert at 9 PM, it's kind of like, whoa, that is, that is ripping. Like I got maybe two songs in me. Yeah. No, but you know what, man, all this stuff that we're talking about, I think that this is the stuff that if someone wants longevity. Mm-hmm. These are the, in addition to doing a really great job or sure, like, you yeah. know, your band keeping great songs coming and a great live show, or like if you're a mixer, yep. keep doing a great job. Okay. Those things, those to me, those are the assumptions, right? Like without those things, you're not even in the conversation. Exactly. So like assuming that you're in the conversation because you still are putting out good songs, you're still a good band and your mixes are still good. Your productions are still good. Okay, that assumed it's this other stuff that makes you or breaks you, I think, as you get older. You got to experiment a little bit with it because everybody's so different that it's worth trying different things to see if it how it affects your progress just as a human being. Like, you know, if if going out to shows all the time makes you thrive and do better at your production job or mixing job or writing or whatever, then by all means do that and do more of it. But just be aware of like how it is affecting you. For example, my wife is like super extroverted. So she like thrives in a big crowd of people. You know, she's like this bright light. She's such an amazing person. But because she is so outward, it makes it hard for her sometimes to realize what is actually affecting the inside of her. And it isn't until Mm -hmm. like the weekend rolls around and then she like crashes, you know, like on a, like a Friday or a Saturday. And then it's like, oh, all that, you know, all these ways that I was pushing myself during the week and maybe not doing the best thing here and not getting enough sleep here or not, you know, taking care of my health or my even, or my mental health, like it catches up on the weekend. And and if you're not as aware of it, you got to put in more work to become aware of it. Definitely. Awareness is key. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuggah, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about, and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, 
super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. I think also as part of getting better at something like production or songwriting or your instrument Mm -hmm. or mixing or say even networking, like anything, self-awareness goes a really, really long way. The reason I say that is because so many people either think that they are the worst thing to have ever happened to music and have the worst imposter syndrome ever, or they think that they're the best thing to have ever happened to music, and they're also completely delusional. It's important to try to be accurate in how you see yourself. It'll help you gauge where you stand with other people um, because other people are the ones who are going to be yay or naying you exactly um, in terms of work. And also being trying to have an accurate picture of where you're at also will help you understand what it is you need to get better at. So yes, context and accuracy, um, self-reflection, it's a really, really important group of things to try to adopt into your, into your mental workflow, I think. Yeah. It can be a tough pill to swallow sometimes too, when you have to well, yeah. maybe slow down take a step back and be like, okay, what is reality right now? Like what, what do I actually need to do? You know, what is actually important? You know, I I always had that problem back in the day. I got really into like cinematic stuff and video scoring and I kind of got distracted by that because it was, because it's so interesting and it's so much fun and I wanted to do all these things. And that was one of the things that I wanted to do. And then I kind of had to just be realistic and be like, okay, is that really where your life is going to go? Like, is that really where your career is going to go? Because you also have these other things that take up most of your time and are honestly probably a more viable option for you as a person at this point in time exactly at this point in time yeah so i was just like "Eh, well let's just let's just slice that off we don't need that it's hard to do it's hard to do but it's important it's important to realize you can do anything it's one of those you can do anything but you can't do everything at the same time Mm -hmm. kind of ideas like you could get good at the scoring thing you've you devoted yourself to it for sure exactly yeah i'm sure you could develop a career in it too but at the same time as everything else you've got going on is that wise? Yeah. Like what else is going to suffer? It's kind of a tall order because something always has to suffer in order for something else to take center stage. So right now, this point in time, what are your priorities? Well, for me, my band aside, the two things I really enjoy the most are are mixing and, and just writing with bands and like doing production for them. I really, that's, you know, there's like something very powerful about being in a room with, you know, a couple other people and like somebody has a little spark of an idea and then you grow it into this other thing and then somebody interjects this other thing and you, you know, you're know you writing lyrics as you're writing the music and it's just like grows into this really, really cool thing that, you know, seven hours ago was literally nothing. And I, I don't know, part, part of me just lives for that. But then the flip side is the other part of my brain really enjoys bringing what other people have made to life, you know, like, because they, maybe they've only had the demo version of a song and then they send Mm -hmm. you the files to mix it and then they get it back and they're like, Oh my God, like, I didn't know it could, I I didn't know it could even be that. I don't know. There's something special about that. And that's, that's my 
focus right now because that's what I get the most fulfillment out of. So taking music to the next level, whether it's yours or somebody else's, is there a hierarchy there? This is why me being a professional producer mixer isn't for me. Like I could never put other people's music ahead of my own. I don't know if I would say that there's a hierarchy to it, but I recognize both as equally important. Like got it. I know that it's kind of like a three-tiered thing. It's like on one tier, I have my marriage. On another tier, I have my band and my role in that and like the things that I have to do that are important. And the th the third tier is just like doing the best I can to make whatever anyone's else anyone else's music starts as grow it into something bigger, whether that's mixing it or doing production or writing whatever it is. Um you know, like we were talking about earlier, trying to balance all those things. I just have to put my mind in modes of things that I'm focusing on. And that tends to work the best for me. Three pillars. I like that. Keeps it very simple. Yeah. Like anything else outside of those three pillars, like if you have time for it, cool. If not, then, you know, or if, or if you want it to make something else that's outside of those three more important, then you need to do a better job at scheduling so that you can find the time for that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I like going to the gym. I play hockey on the weekends. Um, those are like not the most important things <laughs> by far in my life. But if I want to have them included, I need to make sure that I'm doing the other three, th main three things really, really well so that fitting those other ones in is easy. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm guessing that it took you a while to figure out how to do this efficiently. Yeah. I mean, I would say I was still <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah, you know? still figuring it out. But yeah, I think I'm, I've gotten in more of a mode now that it, it kind of tends to cruise. But yeah, it's, it's a work in progress. I think we all are. Yeah. So let's talk about Nail the Mix because you are coming on this month, which I think is really fucking cool. I'm excited and terrified. <laughs> oh, there's nothing to be terrified about. Everybody says they're terrified. Really? Trust me, everybody does. And then we do it and then they're like, there was nothing to be terrified about because it's not just like you alone in the wilderness or like in the ocean. Stranded. By yourself, stranded <laughs> in a storm and like no contact with civilization. Like I'm going to be there hosting. My whole job is to help you do your job. And so if I feel like you haven't explained something enough, I'll just ask you more questions about it. Yeah. And it's always super helpful. Yeah, it's my job. So like, it'll be totally fine. It's funny. Everybody says that they're terrified of it at first. I think because it's so cool when you know you get to do something that's really cool that you like impress upon yourself like a certain standard, you know what I mean? Of like, oh man, like if I think this cool, everybody else thinks it's cool. So I got to make sure that I'm cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> make sure that I do a cool job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you will. I think it's awesome because I also think that um, relatability wise, you are like what a lot of our students are mm -hmm. in that you're the dude in the band who had the DAW. Yep. Got good enough to start making the records. Yeah. And uh, that's that's kind of, you know, there's one person in every band who operates the DAW. But I feel like that's kind of like living the dream is to both have a production career that's moving along and be in a well-known band. That's 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 good stuff. And so I think that like 
people will see people see that um, and are like and can relate to that because that right there is yeah that's their path a lot of people's dream yeah. that is what they want to see in their own lives yeah and it's totally doable I mean if, if I can do it then anybody can do it I guarantee that <laughs> I mean that you're being humble but I do think that it's a very doable path if you focus on the right things yes and also be real with yourself and well, I think the the two things that helped me the most in like getting better at mixing and production was just being real and having to re- like go like okay like what am I actually doing good and what am I sucking at right now like because those things that I'm sucking at like let's work on those so that they're no longer issues and also just having to kind of like know when what you're doing like when what you're putting out is not good because I've definitely learned I'm sure you said this to a thousand people before like you learn probably the most when you suck at stuff and you listen back you know a week later to a mix you did or a year later and you're like oh yeah something there's one thing is sucking in isolation you could you can learn from that but there's nothing like sucking in front of people oh yeah yeah there's nothing like it it's the worst yeah, yeah. or the best depending on how you look at it. And, it and it haunts it haunts you yeah or the best i mean yeah that's true because then it's so terrifying and scary that you're just like okay how do i make sure this never happens again okay then let's just sit down and obsess over this thing that i'm not doing well so that i can correct this so then i don't have to put myself in that position ever again yeah exactly and i think that Man, if you don't put yourself out there like that, mm-hmm. you're going to be guessing what those things are, right? Yep. You're going to be guessing like about what your weaknesses really are or how people's perception of your work is going to be. It's all guess. Mm-hmm. It's all guess. It's not until you like get in the ring, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's... That you know the truth. That was... um so like for our for the latest Memphis record, I mean that's exactly what that did. That was like me jumping out into the ocean and just being like, "All right, well, I guess I'm going to figure out how to swim back to shore." <laughs> Cuz when the pandemic happened, we'd ha- we had had all these plans to go write with a bunch of people and work with all these different people to just have a bunch of different flavors on the record, and then all that got put on hold, and even though we had had a, a grip of demos, it kind of since it made everybody in the entire world pause, we're like, "Okay, well what can we do better?" Like, I know we have these songs, but can we do better songs? And, you know, so that's essentially what we did is just kind of went back to the drawing board and just rewrote a bunch of stuff and wrote a bunch of stuff from scratch. And then so when it got time to mix it, we had a list of people that we wanted to do test mixes. And so we sent the files out to the first person and we were like super pumped and then got the mix back and it was not like really anywhere in the ballpark of what we were kind of picturing and no fault of that of that guy at, at all you know admittedly Memphis is a hard band to mix Brian Hood told me that years and years ago when he he did like a remix of one of our old albums that included like some new songs and he you know he was here well he's still here in Nashville but he was still mixing at the time and I remember going to his studio and him just being like like sitting down mixing and kind of looking at me going you know, you guys are hard to mix, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. We did the test mix and it didn't really pan out like we wanted to. And so Matt just was like, well, how about you mix it? And I had done, you know, for the last couple of years, like s- smaller projects, like a lot of Christian rock stuff here in, in Nashville and nothing quite as complex as, as our band. Although like, we're not like 
complex by any means compared to like progressive metal and stuff like that. I think just Still. complex in like layering. Like we have lots and lots of layers. Yeah, there's there's stuff there for sure. So yeah, I just he he said, why don't you do it? And I said, okay. And uh, you know, I went through like probably four or five different iterations of different kinds of mixes until I landed on one that everybody liked and then tweaked it and tweaked it and made a bunch of different templates for it and and here we are a couple of years later. So the process of getting them to trust you, well, if they suggested it, that already is like a big problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> getting a band to trust a band member with a mix, like... It says something, yeah. Yeah, it says something. But like if the band member requests to mix it, that's different than if the band requests the member to mix it. So like if Matt asks you to do it, that's already like, all right, so he... He might not be sure of the outcome, but he trusts he trusts in you enough yeah. to give it a shot. Yeah, that I'll do everything I can to make it sick. And dude, honestly, in full disclosure, I've requested to mix previous albums that I was unhappy with. Mm-hmm. I was not ready, 100%. Was not ready, you know? And that was also a tough pill to swallow, but it taught me a lot of like what not to do. Like, hey... What did they say? You're not ready or did they let you and just you didn't win or what? Yeah, like I'd, I I would do a mix on a previous album. We would just kind of compare it to what we already had. And it was just kind of like a general consensus between us and label and management was just like, hey, like it's not bad, but it's just like we're already on this path and you're just not quite there yet. So like, why don't you just hold your horses a bit there? You know, and I was a bit younger at the time. So I was like, what? I don't understand why. And I would just get frustrated. And then, it's all political. Yeah. And then looking back, I'm like, that's probably the best thing they could have done for me. You know what I mean? Like in terms of helping me grow. Totally. Totally. So because it, it prepped me for this record. And if you hear those mixes are like, yeah, probably wasn't good enough yet. Like if you hear them now. Yeah. Okay. Good. Anything back then was not worthy yet. See, I think that this is awesome that we're talking about this because my parallel here to nail the mix to a lot of the students who do nail the mix, I I want people who do nail the mix, mix polls to pay attention to this because I've always told them that like nail the mix, mix poll. First of all, it's not like real life in that in real life, you're probably going to be up against four people. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, if you're doing a test mix, it's gonna be like you and then four other badasses. When you have the the opinion of the label and the management and booking and everybody, all kinds of stuff. But with a nail the mix mix poll, there are no stakes. It's literally you can win some prizes or not. But like you're up against 500 people, so that right there is like not realistic. Like there's no real life test mix situation where you're going to be up against 500 people. So already your odds of winning are one in 500. Those are very, very, very low odds. And one thing I've noticed though, is with a lot of people who are younger in their mixing career, I don't mean younger in age. I mean, just earlier in their mixing career. Yeah. When they don't make the polls or they don't win, sometimes, not everybody, sometimes they'll be like, what the, why the fuck didn't I win? My mix was great. Mm-hmm. I heard the other mixes. Mine was great. Like, so someone, and then they'll go on these, they'll get ranty and really mad. It doesn't happen very often, but it's happened often enough for me to bring it up or like make some very passive aggressive posts about it or just like ultimate butt hurt. And then what always happens is a year later 
or something, they get into a poll and they win or something because they kept on trying to get better. Or they a year or two go by and they listen to those old mixes and they're and they write an apology to the group. Yeah. They write an apology <laughs> to the group. They're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that I was such an asshole about this. I really thought this was a great mix, and now I can totally tell why it was rejected. I just I couldn't hear it at the time. Thank you for." telling me the truth the tough love and, uh, yeah and the tough love because then i went and i worked on what i needed to work on and here i am with a, having won it but like it's a it's a similar sort of thing like if you don't get that feedback how are you gonna know you won't you won't yeah because you know maybe when you're submitting it maybe like that's the best thing you've ever done at that time but that doesn't mean the best thing you'll ever do so it's hard to have that kind of comparison there's no there's no way you can know that it actually is good. And I mean, with doing mixes, it's so subjective. I mean, it may actually be a sick mix, but maybe this is not what everybody else wanted to hear out of that. And that's a tough thing to figure out too. Especially in the test mix scenario, because if it's like five great mixers, they're generally all going to be doing sick mixes of some sort. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I hate test mixes. I'll do them, but I I, I hate it. Dude, I don't think anybody likes it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what Wade was saying the other day. He was like, oh, just just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't think anybody likes it. It's such an uncomfortable thing. Well, and it's just because maybe... I feel like, too, with, with test mixes, you don't always get a ton of information on exactly what they the band wants to hear. And I like... I, I like thrive on specificity. Mm-hmm. Like, when I do mixes for bands, I'm like, send me like three or four references of like other mixes that you like certain elements of and tell me what those elements are you know like you like the snare of this you like the vocal of this you know because Mm -hmm. if you don't tell me i'm just gonna do it how i would do it and then you might be bummed out because maybe the vocal wasn't bright enough or it's too bright or the snare is too loud or whatever it is like so yeah it's so subjective doing mixes for people that you know if it's not what they want like you just have to be like well, okay, well then tell me what it is you want and let's do that. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. We have an episode called Musical Translator. I think it's the second URM podcast ever. It was me, Joey, and Joel. It was before we had guests on. And the whole conversation is about interpreting what people want and giving that to them. How that's like, as a producer or a mixer, that really is your biggest job is knowing what it is that they what they want what they actually want, not necessarily what they say they want, but what they actually want, you need to be able to translate their words into music. Like they say they want this, you need to be able to translate it in your head into what does that actually mean musically and then deliver that. You can do that, you're good. Yeah, you have to like decipher it into instructions for you, yeah. Yeah, musical translator, it matters. It, it, it's, it's hard, yeah. especially because when you receive a demo for something you're about to mix, you're like, oh, this would sound really cool if it was like a really aggressive mix or, or you know, with a lot of low end or whatever it is. But as you start, sometimes you kind of have to be like, well, are they like going for more octane radio on this? Are they going for more this or they just want it to sound like the heaviest thing on the face of the earth? Because that's going to greatly change <laughs> how you approach that mix or that production, you know? Yeah. And you just have to be mindful of that. It's It's a tricky thing to practice. And I think the only way you can get good at it and, and practice it is by failing occasionally. Yeah. So the reason that in the in our speed mixing program, we tell people to finish version one fast and send it to the client 
is not because you're trying to cut corners or like, just like, you know, skip steps. It's because you need to understand what they want. Right. So, and no, you don't really know what anyone wants until there's something to listen to. Like words are cool. Like I want to be heavy, but like that really doesn't mean anything. So it's not very descriptive. Yeah. No, nothing is as descriptive as the way a mix sounds like, so get them something that they can listen to and get it to them quickly so that you didn't spend a week like doing all these things, every yeah. last detail. Yeah. That you're just going to throw away. Exactly. Are we headed in the right direction? Yes or no. If yes, we'll go down this path. If no, can scrap this completely, try a different direction, but we didn't spend an entire week trying to get to this no. Yep. Yeah, because you could have, if you would have just sent it right away, then you could probably get to the end game quite a bit faster. Yeah, for sure. Mm, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I have, I have trouble with that. <laughs> it's, dude, all of this is easier said than done. Yeah. yeah. It's all easier said than done. Yeah, first first drafts of mixes that I send to bands are are generally honestly like, really like a second draft. Well, yeah. I'll usually do one, sit on it for a day, go back, make some changes, then send it. And that tends to be the best. Well, you got to be comfortable with it. You can't send them something that you're questioning. Exactly. Yeah. That makes sense though. I, I like that advice you're saying about like just haul ass through it. So you don't make too many like tiny little changes that honestly aren't going to even, maybe not even be what they want or not even affect it all that much. And then you just waste all that time. Yeah. Just Define the direction, like give them a direction, obviously sound good, but like there's a level to where people will understand this isn't done, but it's slamming. Yeah. Like it already sounds like it, like people can pros who have been in the game and yeah. know how mixes come along. If you're like, Hey, this is 90% there. I just wanted to get your feedback. Am I going in the right direction? Should I finish this out or rethink it? Like anybody who has been in the game will understand those instructions. Yeah. And say, yeah, this is a great direction, or I kind of hate this. Please start over. Yeah. And I think most like professional bands get that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think professional bands, if you're doing that with a professional band, I think you're going to be okay. Local bands, maybe not as much because they might not understand that. That was the hardest thing about doing the Memphis record was instead of like you sending a mix off to a band and then receiving critical feedback, it's like you're sending it to yourself <laughs> and you've already heard the song a thousand times and your band members. Yeah. And your band members. Mixing your own band. Don't recommend it. Dude. Oh, I don't either. It can be fun and rewarding, but it's also in the day before my band got signed, I was mixing my own stuff for the band, but there came a point where I was like, we need to, we need to graduate. We need a record company. Like we need to like this, this, Local existence is no longer appropriate for us or for my life. And we need to upgrade our sound. And so from that point forward, I started bringing in outside mixers to mix the stuff I recorded. It was a game changer, I'm and sure. And it was, yeah. man, it was so awesome. Yeah. yeah. First of all, the first time you hear your music sound that good is an amazing thing. Oh, yeah. You're just like, yes, that, yes. Yeah. This is it. This is what I was hoping for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But also... It keeps your relationship with your band healthier. <laughs> yes, <laughs> healthier is better for your mental health. I, I I'm very much against mixing my own music. And look, you do it. More power to you. I know lots of people who can do it. And if you have found a way to do it where it doesn't make you insane, then oh yeah, hats off. But wow. Oh, I mean, totally. At one point, 
I think it was like over the Christmas break, I think going into 2021. Yeah, from 2020 to 20. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were was fully a moment where I just like stopped what I was doing and I was like, I, I can't do this. I, and I would, I just, I just walked <laughs> into the kitchen and I would just like sat down and my wife was sitting in there and I was like, babe, I, I don't think I could do this. <laughs> and she was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're good at what you do. You, you can for sure do it. And I was like, ah, I, I think I'm just going to call Matt and tell him we need to find somebody else to mix it. Cause I, I really don't believe that I can do this. And she was like, kind of, she was pepping me up, but also kind of being like, you know, like, don't be a baby. Like you can do it hundred percent. You just got to keep going at it. And I was like, okay, you're right. And then you know, like the, the very next iteration of it was like, oh, that's what I was trying to do. Cause trying to like mix your own band and like take what you're hearing in your head and putting it in there. It's, it's so much easier when it's somebody else's stuff, at least just for me, because if somebody is descriptive yeah. enough and specific enough, I can be like, okay, I get what you're saying. Like you like, you want the, you want the kick from this album and you want this and you want the vocal from this album. Like, okay, I can, I can recreate those or I can get you in that ballpark, but like trying to translate what's in your own brain into a, your own mix is, man, that is a, Oh, geez. That is the probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. But once it finally clicked, it was like, oh, okay. I just need to like exaggerate everything. <laughs> Essentially is what I had to do. And then that got me where I was going. That's why I'm going to Jens Bogren. Yeah. Oh, he's the man. Yeah, he's the man. And I can't deal with that stuff. So you found that you just had to exaggerate the individual elements or what you were going for. What do you mean? For me personally, like, and, and I know this, and I don't do this necessarily on every mix that I do. Um, but for, the, I guess just specifically for the, the Memphis record, I wanted it to f sound and feel like it kind of like it does at a live show. So, you know, like when you go to a live show and the front of house guy is just ripping it and it's just slamming and it's so loud that like mm -hmm. even your own ears are like kind of compressing it a little bit because it can't handle all the volume. I wanted to try and recreate that in a mix to where you're, it's just like so exaggerated and aggressive and just every element is over the top. Pummeling. Yeah, pummeling. That Yeah. <laughs> and so it's probably the most compressed mix out there right now. But I did that on purpose because I wanted to exaggerate everything about it. And I, you know, I, I think I achieved that. It just took a lot of problem solving, um, you know, because you go exaggerate this one thing. And you're like, oh, well, now that's clashing with that. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, now I got to go solve that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just stick some soothe on that and fix that. Oh, okay. You know, the, it's just like soothe, soothe everywhere. <laughs> oh, now I'm very curious. I'm very curious about your nail the mix now, even more, just how to get, how to get something sounding that pummeling without it becoming a noisy disaster. Quite the challenge, actually. You will see, dude. It is... Yeah, I know. I'm excited. Pretty wild. It's. Uh, I definitely don't mix everything that way. I'm way more conservative with pretty much everybody else's music unless they want that and then I do it that way. No, but you know what? This is like so important. What you're saying now, right now, about what you wanted for it, what you just said about how you wanted it to sound like when you're at a show and it's so loud and powerful that even your ears are adding to the compression and that just that mm -hmm. power. That's a vision. That is a very well-defined vision. And I think that artists and mixers and producers need to have well-defined visions. Yes. And things fall apart, in my opinion, in the creation of art when somebody in, who's in a 
who has a, you know, one of the main roles doesn't have a strong vision. Right. And so whether it's you as a mixer are working with an artist who has no vision. And so then you have to create that vision for them. Right. Well, you could do a good job or a bad job, but that's like a crapshoot or like a mixer doesn't have a vision for how they want the record to sound or mm-hmm. a band doesn't have a vision for the overall feel of their song or things like that. Like that stuff that without that, like it's like trying to get to a destination, but what destination are you trying to get to? Exactly. It's just like, are you just hitting random on your GPS and just, <laughs> just going, yeah. going somewhere? <laughs> but, yeah. like, like you got to have some, like some North star, or some coordinate entered into that like a GPS. like an endpoint that you're going towards yeah yeah exactly so at least a point of view on what this is supposed to be and if it turns out different which sometimes it will yeah that's okay too but like having this super defined vision to me it's everything yeah that's like what makes it art well and it, i think one thing that i've learned over the years is like when you get a project take like a day or two to just jam the the songs that they've sent and just like think about what the vision is going to be. Because, you know, I'm sure you're this way. Like a lot of songs could sound rad four different ways. You know, mm-hmm. you could have like a more stripped down version. You could have a more like a radio friendly version. You could have like a super compressed version or you could have like a really uncompressed version that, and all four of them could sound awesome, you know? And there's no like right or wrong answer to that, but like figuring out like, okay, what's the one that the band is going to be the most stoked on or that I'm going to be the most stoked on. And like, let's just shoot for that. And if for some reason that falls short, then let's pick one of the other three. You know, yep. And at least, at least that way, you know. Totally. Like you could do any number of things, but like, which is the one that's in line with the vision of the people whose opinion matter? Exactly. Which is like whoever the main people are in the band and the mixer and the producer. You know. Yeah, and and don't be afraid to like you know do <laughs> maybe do some things that you wouldn't normally do because big props to Nolly. I, I feel like everybody has watched his YouTube videos and, and nail the mix stuff and uh, like a thousand times and, and just kind of like emulates that kind of process, which is rad because it sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I would definitely encourage people to like, yo, like do some stuff that you wouldn't normally do. Like even if it is like quote unquote, like wrong, because you might stumble upon something that you wouldn't have normally done. You're like, oh man, that sounds rad. Like, yeah, maybe I have to solve that problem with something else here, but it adds this new like excitement or a new element to the way I was doing things that I wasn't doing before. And I wouldn't have discovered that if I hadn't just been like, okay, well, let's just try something different. Yeah. Well, that is how Nolly discovered some of his tricks too, is by doing things that were not done yet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, totally agree with you. Well, Kellen, I think it's a good place to end the episode. I'm very much looking forward to your Nail the Mix session in a couple of weeks. And if anyone wants to sign up for this, uh, nailthemix.com slash sign up. You'll get the raw multitracks and uh, the chance to enter into the uh, mix competition and watch Kellen mix it for real. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. I'm excited. Yeah, it is going to be fun. Still still a little a little terrified. Oh, dude, <laughs> it's okay. Do you ever get nervous before a show? Not so much anymore. But back in the day when you did, how long did that last? Five, 10 minutes and then it's gone. Okay. Yeah. That's what it'll be like. Yeah. As long as I got you, we're, we're good. Yeah. More like two minutes. So yeah, man, I'm pumped. Well, thank you very much, man. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Same here. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALLEVY URM Audio at URM Academy and of course, 
tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at urm.academy and use the subject line, answer me, al. All right, then. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.